0: Welcome to the B2B Mix Show with Elena and Stacy. Each week, we'll bring you ideas that you can implement in your own marketing strategy. We'll share what we know as well as advice from industry experts, some of whom will join us from time to time here on the show. Are you ready to mix it up? Let's get started.
1: Hey there, this is Stacy Jackson, and this is where Elena Jackson would normally say, This is Elena Jackson. Elaine and I are co-founders of Jackson Marketing. We're also sisters, and we're bringing you episode 12 of the B2B Mix Show. This episode is about event marketing and how one team promoted 2018's largest remote work conference. Our guest today is Liam Martin. He's the co-founder and CMO of Time Doctor, a company that offers time tracking and productivity monitoring software for remote teams. Liam is also a co organizer of the Running Remote Conference. Now, this isn't a gathering of digital nomads. This conference is for big brands that have embraced or are interested in embracing a remote friendly or remote only approach to work. During our interview, Liam touched on some interesting facts about remote work, but he also gets down to brass tacks and shares those five tactics that he and his team used to pull off this amazing conference. Now, a quick note before we go to break. We did discover during production that there are a few parts of the audio that are a little bit crackly, annoying, yes, rampant, no. We hope you'll overlook these few moments to hear what Liam has to share. He's an interesting guy with real-world insights and data about what worked in his promotional efforts. I hope you'll stay tuned and learn from what he's got to say.
2: How are you guys doing? <laughs> good
1: Great. You. Yeah, it's, I'm. Uh, I'm good.
2: Yeah, it's just been work. a very kind of crazy promotional cue for running remote, mm-hmm.
3: and it's
2: been. Um, I think I did 300 podcasts up until like f- booked till wow. May 27th from February. Somewhere Mm -hmm. around there, so it's a it's a lot of podcasts to be able to kind of pop into, and it's been a very interesting exercise. (laughs) Yeah, it's like we recognized last year that for every podcast that we do, we sell about half a ticket.
0: Uh Yeah, I saw that last year, like over forty. But you you've gone over three hundred already this year.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done about three hundred. So I just kind of we we realized, well, that's something I can do that like when you look at the ROI of putting me on a on a podcast for an hour or an hour and a half i think in reality i kind of just earmark about 2 hours of labor time per podcast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it works out like it's it's actually cheaper than facebook ads
3: yeah. I'm so sure. then
2: when you just run that and it just requires human grinding to be able to make it work. So doing that on top of obviously Facebook and, and all the other. Stuff yeah. That we Anyways, I'm ready to go whenever you guys are, or are we recording right now? Is this the podcast?
0: I already started recording, but we haven't actually started. We wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. That, I think that's a good introduction to be honest with you, but uh, it's up to you guys. Yeah, that's good. So, but before we move on though, um, can you tell us a little bit more, like about Time Doctor and just the running remote conference itself? and yourself? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, human being living in Canada. Uh, I have run two. So I've been a co-founder of two software companies. I'm the CMO. My co-founder is the CEO, Rob. And we basically built these two tools because we had a real serious problem with trying to figure out how to properly quantify labor when it's remote. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was just actually doing a very interesting debate about time tracking versus results with the CMO of Automatic, which is another huge remote first company that they're responsible for the platform the wordpress platform
3: mm-hmm.
2: and we came to a very interesting kind of conclusion which is and they've used our tool before uh time doctor is an early warning system to for productivity so in essence what it allows you to do is right now i'm on a task called podcast i'm going to compare that with all the other and probably I have maybe 400 to 500 hours worth of podcast time that I've tracked over the last Mm. six months. And then I can measure, well, where was I spending my time? Was I spending more time on Zoom? Was I spending it on Google Apps? Uh, Was I spending it on Skype, on some other type of webinar software? And if I had a team of 10 people that were doing this task, I'd be able to quantifiably measure who's doing this more efficiently and who is doing this inefficiently. So we find this a lot, our sales teams or something that has a very quantifiable end goal that's applicable across a large scale team, we'll see one person that will spend maybe two hours to close a deal and it will take another person six hours to close that same deal. So what we try to do is figure out what insights can we gain from the person that's way more efficient and then communicate that to the rest of the team. And then the secondary part is this early warning system to be able to figure out, well, where is your time going? And are you using your time as efficiently as you should? And maybe over the last year, year and a half, you've seen a dip in your Mm -hmm. overall productivity. What are the sources of that? And we've actually been able to very clearly identify, well, there are a lot of things that happen in work that are completely outside of your control And then we try to solve for those. So, did you just have a new kid, as an example? That's going to you're going to see a drop in overall productivity because you're just getting pulled in two separate directions. So, how could we solve that? Well, maybe we can get you a nanny, or maybe we can get you a babysitter or something like that, so that you're more focused when you're working, and then when you're not working, you can have that. that And all of
0: your people work from home, right?
2: Correct. So we mm-hmm. have about 100 employees in 32 different countries mm-hmm. all over the world right now. And we believe that remote work is really the future of work. Uh, I can kind of get into the data on that, but some people don't necessarily believe me because it's still early days. Mm-hmm. But we've seen in 2017 about 2% of the U.S. workforce worked full-time remotely. This year it's about 3.9%. Really? That's uh, all? it so would be higher. Well, so people that work remotely to some degree is was 56% in 2017 and it was 60% ish in 2018. So you'll have remote work Fridays, but you won't have full on committed remote work agreements. Right. And so what we're seeing is the full-time remote people, they're growing at almost an exponential scale to the point where there was a study and I can't remember who referenced this study. I will be able to get it to you guys afterwards. Uh, This study projected 50% full-time remote work for the United States by 2027. Wow. Wow. So if you look at that, right, then we're looking at a shift in labor that's just completely unprecedented. Mm-hmm. I also think there's other great opportunities, like your carbon footprint is going to go way down. You're not driving a car around. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to really stay inside of your communities in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. Coworking spaces. I mean, you've seen, everyone's kind of seen the rise of co-working that's happened recently. And I think that trend is only going to continue and actually kind of evolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people 10 years ago would say, oh, it's crazy to work on uh, Amazon S3 cloud computing services as an example, right? Everyone had their own server racks. Today, no one has their own server right, rack, right. And I kind of see remote, I see co-working as that same type of cloud. I actually think they need to get away from the term co-working because it mm-hmm. sounds like a whole bunch of people kind of like, in one spot and it doesn't feel very convenient. what it should be is a whole bunch of floating offices all over planet earth that you pay a subscription to and then you can just access that network wherever Mm -hmm. it exists so i see those types of businesses really exploding from remote work um i see a lot of negative aspects to remote work as well but i think that the positive aspects definitely outweigh the negative ones
0: yeah it's funny because when we started our business we have we work from home we don't work in an office anymore and it's you really kind of see how much more you get done working from home than in an office because somebody always comes by your desk and bugs you or just wants to talk or something and, and productivity just seems higher than it does when you work in an office.
2: We've had a recent phenomenon, which is we do have some offices. We call them crash pads. So if anyone wants to come to Canada that works in the company, they can come to Canada and they can work out of the office that I'm currently in. Mm-hmm. Now, we've only recently started this phenomenon, and we've started to have people that have kind of started to collect inside of um, these different offices, and I've never not worked remotely. So it's a very interesting situation for me where people will kind of just like turn around the corner and say, hey, do you got a minute? <laughs> no. And for me, I- I've actually have been saying, no, I don't. I'm, uh
3: Go I'm home. Trying to get my
2: work done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, set up a meeting with me. Set up a formalized meeting with right. me because with remote work, you always have these formalized meeting yeah. times that everyone mm-hmm. kind of sets up with. I mean, I I shut down Skype and Slack and, and Twist, and I when I'm doing my job, I just I focus on accomplishing those main tasks outside of the day. Mm-hmm. And when I go on to Slack or Twist or Skype, then that means that I'm available to be able to converse with. Right. Uh, So, that same phenomenon is just not available, unfortunately, inside of an office environment. And I now feel quite bad for all of my office counterparts that exist in the world (laughs) that just have to deal with this constant interruption.
3: Yeah, right. Um,
2: That kind of stops you from doing what you really want to do, which is actually getting your work done. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. I used to have a a red do not disturb sign that I would put up outside of my cubicle area if I was really focusing on working on something. It didn't work though. It it? didn't work. No. (laughs) (laughs) They always always still came in. So having this platform of timedoctor.com gives you some leverage in being able to talk about remote workers and this conference. So it gives you a good Resource for people to invite to the conference and things like that. So, can you talk to us a, a little bit more about the content yeah. that you guys I, so, do each I mean, year? this
2: is this is the thing that we kind of recognized is this has really been a passion project for me. It's not something that um, we're going to make money this year. We're profitable, which was which was huge. We were not profitable last year. We lost. We basically cut a check for a hundred grand, and I think we lost about eighteen hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. um on the conference which was fine for me because mm-hmm. we actually had made the decision are we psychologically prepared to lose a hundred thousand dollars if it re- if it increases retention by 10 percent across the company as an example the things that we learned could it could it basically help us with keeping the talent that we currently have and helping our hiring procedures. And right. it did, and then we basically got it for free. So yes, absolutely, we can have customers. We do have customers that come from Time Doctor, but we very specifically didn't wanna make at the Time Doctor Conference. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is we saw that there was a huge kind of hole right now in the space. Like we're talking very small numbers, right? We're talking 2% of the US labor force, 4% of the US labor force. So 4% of the US labor force, not those many people. Mm-hmm. But if by 2027, we're talking about 50% of the labor force, um, remote work will become the most important kind of thing that's happened to labor in the last few decades. So we realized no one was talking about this. There was a whole bunch of information on how to hire a virtual assistant or how to become a digital nomad. But no one had the, um, hey, there's a whole bunch of human beings that sit at home or in co-working spaces at their computers and they build businesses. How do you scale that process? What's the playbook to be able to build those businesses more efficiently? And that's in essence the mission statement of the conference is trying to actually facilitate that. And we realized that if we made it the Time Doctor Conference, we might actually be cutting people off right. mm-hmm. to those opportunities. So last year, as an example, Toggle, which is one of our competitors, spoke mm-hmm. at the conference. No. We really wanted to be able to say this is a broad tent, right? Uh, it's its own thing. And if you just want to learn about this subject and you're nerdy like me, that you know, you just want to learn about how to do this kind of stuff, uh, this is the place for you.
0: So, is it more for uh, companies that manage remote workers, or is it also for the remote workers themselves?
2: It's more for the managers of remote workers. However, we are thinking about introducing the Some course con or some talks for the employees as well Mm -hmm. one of the things that we wanted to shy away from is I don't know if you guys know the phenomenon of digital nomads. Yes Mm -hmm. Okay, so basically they are people that have no set address and they work from their laptops but, uh, and they make money. That's how they make money from their laptops, but they don't have a set address. So they just Mm -hmm. travel constantly. So I travel about six months out of the year. My co-founder was a hardcore digital nomad. He probably did it for about five years, but there are plenty of conferences on that particular subject. Uh, nomad summit is a great one. Uh, DNX is another one. They have a cruise now, which is very successful. I've never necessarily been on that one, but it, it seems like it's, it's going very well. Uh, So we wanted to very clearly divide ourselves from that community Mm -hmm. to be able to say, we're not the, you'll never hear a talk about how to travel hack as an example, um, those types of things. And then we also wanted to create a space for the employers to be able to discuss these particular issues. So now Mm -hmm. we're thinking about introducing the remote employees into the mix Mm -hmm. Um, but it's it's an interesting debate because once you kind of get into the right flow of people talking and interacting with each other sometimes adding in a new aspect into that type of conference can be disruptive so Right. right now it's just for the employers but we're seriously thinking about bringing in the employees we also not necessarily just the founders but HR directors, people in recruitment, those types of things, those guys are more than welcome to come because a lot of them are not actually hiring remotely, but Mm -hmm. they're really interested in doing it. And for us, we want to act as a kind of a springboard to be able to get into that entire space. So Mm -hmm. if you've never hired remotely before, and let's say you work in a recruitment agency, you can come to the conference and by the end of that conference, you'll know everything that you possibly need to do to be able to do that effectively.
1: I'm sure it would be really interesting to HR people who are trying to add those perks and build a really interesting and cool employer brand because a lot of people would want to work remote.
2: Well, and that's a more serious problem than you would think. It is the number one request for millennials as -hmm. a job perk, which is remote working agreements. And what's the level below millennials? Generation Z? Generation Z, yeah. Is it Z's? That's a bad name. They should really name that. (laughs) So the Z's, uh, I think they're below 24,
3: Mm -hmm. something
2: like this. Uh, Three out of every five of them is working remotely Mm. right now. That can. So we're not talking about service-based positions. We're talking about like... A position that you can have remotely three out of five of them are working remotely, which is a huge phenomenon when you see that coming down the pipe because you see that 24 year old. Well, the majority of them are working remotely, but The 50 year old 1% of them are working remotely or below Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a very interesting phenomenon that we're not talking about just a slow increase. We're talking about the majority of that workforce is working remotely. So if you don't adapt to this very quickly, particularly in the Fortune 500 world, you're going to get very quickly left behind. We're already seeing companies that come in and they'll say, We have 20,000 employees, and the board has said, We need A remote work agreement and we need 10% of our team of our company to be remote by 2020 how -hmm. do we do it and it's a huge logistical challenge to actually like figure out how to do that particularly with these large companies so those that's another group that we'd love to have at the conference
0: right Yeah, it's kind of surprising that um, some companies just aren't willing to embrace remote workers at all it it just is like baffling when you think about where we are right now and where we're going to and the expectations of those upcoming workers
2: I've had some chats with them. They're, uh, I think, so there are a couple things that immediately pop up. The number one question that we get from a large corporate is, well, how do I know what they're doing? And that's actually, we kind of see ourselves as the Trojan horse of remote work because we can provide that type of
3: data layer data. for them.
2: Mm-hmm. And then after they have that data layer, then we can say, well, it looks like everything's going great it looks like they're actually more productive and they're more efficient than they were when they were in the office. Mm-hmm. You should make everyone remote and you should allow everyone to be able to work from home because we have the proof, we have the mm-hmm. data proof. Um, but then on top of that, out of them just saying, we don't really know what they're doing, You know, how do we collect this data? The second one that's really important is just making sure that they're able to build the same form of collaboration and community that they would have had when they were what we call an on-premise company. Mm -hmm. Uh, Me coming from the tech world, you have remote first companies and then you have on-premise. And on-premise are basically those old boring server racks that you used to have before you had Amazon. Uh, And we now just call those types of companies on-premise because we want to try to make them sound boring and old.
0: (laughs) Uh, Very dated.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So those types of on-premise companies, they're looking for that type of communication and collaboration. And unfortunately, it's just something that there are definitely barriers to overcome. But once you actually do get over those barriers you're going to see a huge increase in not only productivity, there's on average about a 20% boost based off the studies that have been done, but the more important variable is a 30% increase in retention.
1: Mm. Wow.
2: So the biggest reason why people quit, what do you think it is? In, in a job.
1: Not engaged,
0: <clears throat> unhappy
2: <and laughs> they're not. I mean, they're definitely unhappy. Yeah, that's probably yeah. like the big reason. But the the more specific reason, uh you know, is it pay? Is it um equipment? Is it
0: flexibility because they don't have the flexibility to do the things that they want to do? It's inter office politics. Oh. They don't well, like co <laughs> They
2: don't like their coworker or they don't like their manager. That is the number one reason why someone really? quits.
1: Yes. I did not know that. So I in have a remote. thought it
0: was that.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, it
0: to me it's very it's, yeah, it it yeah, it there there's a lot of people I haven't liked over the years in the offices that I worked. At.
2: <laughs> so there's people that I don't, I mean, I'm the founder of co-founder of the company, but I'll tell you, there are people I don't like inside of our own company. I have right. respect for them, but maybe yeah. I don't necessarily, uh, they're not my, you're not at the top of my list of people that right. I want <laughs> to. But here's the thing. Um, when I'm working remotely, I'm not encountering them every single day, mm-hmm, right? right? So I actually think there's a huge phenomenon of a buffering where you can just say, I don't really like Suzanne. You know, there's, I got an issue with Suzanne, but you know what? I don't have to deal with Suzanne on a regular basis. Cause all I got to do is, you know, just spend less time with her or, or do less meetings with her. You know, she kind of gets under my skin, but that's not that big of a deal. I still yeah. like everything else that I'm doing and I, and I'm able to work from home and I'm able to, take care of my kids and do what I want to do. And I'm doing interesting work. So that's my reasoning as to why there's such a huge retention um, push inside of remote positions, mm-hmm. which is great. And like that's something that when you talk to an HR recruitment department, they're really excited to mm-hmm. to hear because that's how they're measured as an organization.
0: Right. So let's get into some of the nitty gritty about event Let's marketing. Okay. So one of the the first things that we wanted to talk about is promotion and how you incorporate podcasts and the results that you saw from that and how you're changing this year. We've already heard that you you've already done 300 podcasts yeah. the last year you did for 40. What yeah. are the the benefits of promoting an event by being a guest on multiple podcasts?
2: So I've recognized the, uh, the lowest cost marketing tool you have is your phone. Uh, so you can literally just start calling people. And if you are aggressive enough, you could call four or 500 people a day and it's not going to cost you anything. Mm-hmm. And if you really want it and you are, you can convince people over the phone and you really do care about what you're trying to sell, you can you can sell anything out mm-hmm. in that way. So I see podcasts as a one-to-many type of Phone, right? -hmm. That's that's basically. If I could, if I was going to call all of your listeners right now, it would probably take me a very long time to be able to sit down and say hi. I would like to tell you about the (laughs) running remote podcast, the running remote conference. It's fantastic. Here are the things. You know, let me go through all the points. And do you have any questions? You know, that's basically what I'm trying to do here is communicate. And particularly with remote work, it's one of those things that sometimes, as you had mentioned people just immediately discount it. Mm-hmm. So if I put up a Facebook ad as an example, which we do, uh, about, hey, you should come to a conference about remote work, nah, I'm not interested in that. Right. However, if you could listen to me for 30, 40 minutes, and maybe I can discuss uh, my personal journey with remote work and how it applies to, um, the broader kind of workspace, maybe you're a little bit more interested. So we've realized that podcasts were a critical part of that. Um, One of the things that we, and I mean this year, I could actually just give you some of the insights that we've gained this year, which is we haven't really released yet, which is very interesting to me because it's brand new for us, right? Event marketing is, we've only done a few of these things. We realized this year sponsors, once you complete one conference that's good, that people like, uh, sponsors come out of the woodwork instantly. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we have I think we sold twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars worth of sponsorships last year. We've almost we've almost 10x that number.
1: Oh wow, that's great. Wow.
2: Yeah. And it's just been wow. they're very, they're like, oh yeah, you did a you did one okay, you exist
0: because- You did one and survived. We're gonna go into you next year. (laughs) That's it.
2: So that's been a very interesting interesting phenomenon. Um, The other one has just been literally running all of our tracking. And now that we've been very, very diligent in tracking all of our data, we've kind of recognized that there's an interesting journey that a customer will take. So they may start at a podcast, And they may actually then go to our YouTube channel and maybe they consume eight or nine pieces of content over a three month period. And then maybe they go to our podcast and they listen to one to two episodes and then they end up converting. Mm -hmm. So that customer journey is actually almost impossible. We can, we can measure the endpoint, but we can't, We can't basically first click attribution in event marketing is very, very difficult. Whereas in a SaaS business, it's actually very easy for first click and last click um, tracking to be able Mm -hmm. to implement that, to say, yeah, they started on the blog. Yes, they ended with a Facebook ad, but we actually put the brand idea and the and the concept of what we were doing into them when they were consuming our blog six months ago, right? Um, much more difficult on event marketing because they just seem to float to different things, right? So we've realized, hey, you know what? Let's hit everything, and pretty much just let's focus on impressions. So yeah. more clicks to the website when we put clicks into the website on average, and I mean we could probably buy clicks from somewhere that's completely not connected to what we're doing and it wouldn't work. But on average, when we've been communicating to people, even to to podcasts that don't really have anything to do with remote work whatsoever, that same click-through rate will result in the same ratio of conversions. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. then basically just the magic is how many we know, and I can't remember the exact number right now, but let's say 50 clicks results in a ticket sale. So then, let's just get packets of fifty clicks coming in. I know mm-hmm. every fifty clicks, I, I I sell a ticket. So how can I then channel those those clicks basically back to the main website?
1: And, and having the, these links time. help with link building and SEO too. That's
0: what I was going to say.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that's bit, I mean that was that's our bread and butter at Time Doctor. That's our first channel is SEO.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I've actually had a couple conversations with people right now about well. Are you doing SEO on running remote? And the answer is yes, but SEO is such a long strategy. I mean, we're talking. I used to tell anybody. I used to tell people, if someone says that they can get you results in under three months, they're they're trying to rip you off, right? <laughs> don't uh, hire. Yeah. yeah, don't hire them um, because it's just not true. You can't get results in three months with SEO. I might even double or triple that estimate at this point because it's been really fun getting a brand new URL, like no links to it whatsoever. We literally registered it ourselves and starting from zero because we're at about a uh, DR 50 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's an exponential scale for domain ratings, time doctors at 75, 76, I believe. And that company does, or that website does about $500,000 in traffic value per month. Mm -hmm. And Running Remote does $500 in traffic value per month. So, but you can see the logarithmic jumps that we're starting to have happen. So once we're past 50 and we're into the 60 range, we'll actually start doing probably a lot of blogging Mm -hmm. because it's worth us to actually do those blog posts but for us it was just get those core links locked in so um, we went to TechCrunch and Forbes and Inc and all of those all of those pages to be able to kind of get get Google interested in us Mm -hmm. and then also very specific connected um, backlinks from remote first companies basically websites that Google already see as influencers in remote work. So right. buffer.com is a huge remote work advocate and they, they participated last year and also gave us a backlink, uh, GitHub, GitLab. These are all kind of like DR 80 plus websites mm-hmm. that you really would have to work a long time to be able to negotiate a link like that. Right. But they've been huge because now when we, we just ran an experiment actually which I, I didn't. I ran the experiment just to kind of test what would happen, and we're very interested, or we were very excited in GitLab's talk last year. The CTO came came to discuss his handbook. So he has all of his operational processes on a Git repository that are open source. Mm-hmm. So if you want to learn ev- anything that GitLab does, it's in that repository. So we just we found out there were about three or four hundred people searching for GitLab handbook per month, and we wrote a blog post about it. And we ended up getting, I mean, GitLab is first and second, and then we're third and fourth.
3: Right, nice.
2: Uh, And that happened without any link building. So we're now kind of, Google is rewarding us for Mm -hmm. that subject matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we also, I think we rank for remote conference as the first result as well. So we're picking up those little keywords, but I think by next year, we'll probably go from $500 a month in traffic value to probably $5,000 a month in traffic value and then hopefully make a jump again to $50,000 in traffic value.
1: Nice. Great. So a moment ago, you hit on the sponsorships you had. How did you get those sponsors? Who, who are the people that are sponsoring? And I know you had a community sponsor level too.
2: Yep. So community sponsors are, uh, that actually was an interesting debate that we had. It was a, back and forth as to whether or not we should come up with this concept. And the first year we did it because we said to ourselves, let's just get the community involved. So maybe you don't necessarily, you can't afford something at this point, but let's just, we'll give you a link to our site. You post up on social about the event and and we'll give you a link. Uh, and we'll we'll have you involved in the um, In the conference. And that was really great because actually a lot of those, I don't think any of those community sponsors turned into paid sponsors, Mm -hmm. but they were really great kind of introducing us to Mm -hmm. their, their reflective community. Yeah.
0: Did they get some kind of badge or anything or were they listed on your site as a they were
2: listed on the on, site or, yeah they were oh, okay. literally listed on the front of the site so if you just okay. want to get a co-associated with it that's that's basically the pitch mm-hmm. um so we have companies like mural we remote shield geo so again those are the types of companies that we're getting fantastic partners people that we're really excited to be able to have
0: very right, cool and not only did you do those partnerships and podcasts, but you focused on some cold outreach, right? Mm-hmm. There was some reaching out to
2: different LinkedIn people. is killing it right now.
0: Yeah. So, how I did you probably, identify those people that you wanted to connect with? And
2: <clears throat> so we've been doing um, we've been doing a bunch of cold outreach, but I would say the uh, just in the last year, it's come so becomes so clear to me that LinkedIn is probably where I would put like the next two years of your marketing energy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, no. So I would divide it between LinkedIn and YouTube. So people think that YouTube is kind of over. I disagree completely. I think Mm -hmm. that YouTube is probably the clearest definition of attention-based marketing you can possibly kind of think of. Their Mm -hmm. entire algorithm is based off of watch time. So we're doing a lot of YouTube videos and we're specifically targeting keywords that connect to remote work that not many people are really interested in. Like maybe that gets 500 searches a month, but we can make the video if it's professionally edited. You know, maybe it costs us a hundred dollars for me to sit down and shoot a video and have it professionally edited and post it up on the YouTube channel. Um, Those 500 views are happening every month.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And maybe they're going to subscribe and they're going to watch 40 pieces of content over the next year, as an example. So that's one side of it. LinkedIn, however, we've been able to scale to a significant margin. And the other reason why I like YouTube, by the way, is scalability. You can't kind of hack it. So we have three to four people that we have a research team that scraped everyone that's talking about remote work on LinkedIn. And the database was maybe. 20,000 people. Then we filter out those people, we analyze them, and then we figure out who we want to reach out to. And we literally start reaching out to them. (laughs) We add them onto one of our LinkedIn accounts, you know, either me or Igor, who's the co-organizer. And we say, Hey, I know that you're associated with remote work. You know, we're doing a conference on remote work and we'd love it if you could come. And I'm telling you probably one out of every 10 of those people ends up buying a ticket wow. and you just have to come to it from a, mm-hmm. a. Um, so we'll have maybe a 20 or 30 message exchange before we end up actually telling them, Hey, this is something that you should probably buy a ticket. Here's a discount code. That's an example. Here's a 10% mm-hmm. discount code for the, the conference, but that's been killer, but it is scalable. Mm-hmm. Whereas YouTube is not. And mm-hmm. it's actually why I want to invest in YouTube early because It's not scalable, but what it does do is it really, uh, like the other thing that's great about YouTube is out of any other social media platform, it's the only one that's directly monetizable back to the person that creates the content. Mm -hmm. And this is also why I think Facebook will generally fail with their video project. Same thing with Instagram is because they don't pay... people that create that content they don't give them a cut I have a partner of mine over the last six years she runs a um, she runs a mermaid school so she teaches women how to swim with a mermaid tail and she has about I think um, 80,000 subscribers on her Mm -hmm. YouTube channel over the last couple years and she makes between one to three thousand dollars a month Mm -hmm. off of that youtube channel which completely pays for all of her video production Mm -hmm. so it's a really interesting feedback loop and she's not getting that three thousand bucks a month from instagram as an example right so i think it really is when you look at where i would put my long-term game i would put it on youtube i actually think youtube will outlive the majority of social media that currently exists but for right now in the next two years linkedin is the place
0: and when you think about it a lot of gen zers that are coming up all they do is watch everything on youtube yeah and and so that's a a great platform to reach those those younger audience that's going to be coming up and coming into the workforce i
2: was blown away i had a i have a 24 year old (laughs) uh, sales guy and he uh he's actually in this office right now and he was telling me that he needs a place to watch Game of Thrones. And I said, oh, well, you just download HBO. He's like, well, I don't have a TV. I was like, you don't have a TV? (laughs) He's like, yeah, I have an iPad, but I really want to watch Game of Thrones on a bigger screen. And I was like, okay, that seems odd to me. You make (laughs) really good money. Why would you you not buy a television set? And it's just like, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't compute because I guess I'm from a different generation. But for him, uh, that is something that doesn't, you know, he doesn't... Yeah. he doesn't need. Yeah, he doesn't see a 55-inch TV as something that he needs. So that's an interesting time we're living into. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so as far as your speakers... How did, you, how did you come to identify your speakers? Because that's a huge draw, right, for the people that are coming to a conference. What were some of those key things that they needed to have?
2: So we surveyed all of our um, customers on Time Doctor, and we asked them, who are <laughs> the biggest influencers in remote work? And we came up with a top five list, and we said to ourselves, if we don't get one of those people in the top five, uh, then you probably won't succeed. And we ended up getting them getting one of them, which is Joel from Buffer,
3: Mm -hmm. uh, who
2: runs buffer.com. Yeah, Yeah. and he was very happy to be able to, or it was very nice of him that he flew down to Bali to be able to do the talk, talking about how he basically uh, runs Buffer and it was a sit-down chat. But that was how we kind of wedged ourselves in, long-term, how we choose speakers is, and there's a bunch of debates about this, and I think that we've come up with at least what works for us very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We look at search volume per month. Mm -hmm. So we type your name to Ahrefs, and then we find out how many people are searching for you. And the more people that are searching for you, the more excited we are to have you as a speaker. It Mm -hmm. just is literally putting butts in seats. We've done the same analysis with how many Instagram followers do they have? right? How many YouTube subscribers, how many Facebook friends do they have? All of these variables, they all don't correlate back to what is their monthly search volume. It actually is probably, I think you shouldn't pay attention to any of those other variables. You should just look at what's their search volume because that is the truest definition of engagement in my opinion.
1: Right. Yeah. That makes sense because once somebody follows you, that could be the end of their engagement with you. But if you're looking at those active searches, that shows you
2: I could buy 100,000 Instagram followers Mm -hmm. tomorrow if I really wanted to, probably cost me a 1,000 bucks, Mm -hmm. right? And then I'm Instagram famous, but like, should you have me speak at your conference? Maybe not. Probably not, (laughs)
0: right, exactly. (laughs) Just because you have those followers doesn't mean they're gonna buy the brands that you're talking about. Exactly. And then, so video content was the last thing that we had to kind of go over. And we talked about YouTube a little bit, but how did you leverage video? for last year's conference, and how do you plan on doing that this year?
2: So we did, unlike other conferences that charge for recordings, we just said, let's put all of the content out there for free. And we had a, our first kind of thought process on this was, we just really want to get this information out there because we want to share the message of remote work And we think it's a great business model to follow so what's the most efficient way to do that well it's just to give away the content right so we did that um the videography was like the second most expensive cost for us past uh the actual venue so it was so we, we a lot of us were just like this is stupid we should charge for this stuff you know we should
0: It's hard to think about giving something like that away for free, right? (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly. And I and I get reminded that if you feel that it's painful to give it away for free, you probably should, because it probably will just produce dividends for you Mm -hmm. later on. So our other thought process was, well, this may actually produce long-term dividends that we can accrue later on in year two, year three, and year four. So if we end up putting up our content for free, people can get really well-educated on it. So we'll see someone that will pop into the YouTube channel and they'll watch one of these videos. And then they'll watch nine of them over the next mm-hmm. two days. Well, then at least they, they really know who we are. Right. They know the type of content that we produce. You know exactly what you're getting if you buy a ticket. And then the next part, which I think is even more important, is if you want to go in person and do the networking component of, the conference, then you can. But if you can't afford that, then you can just you can absorb the content. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was our idea on that end to be able to make the talks for free. And then outside of that, I've been running this experiment of just putting up videos about particular subjects connected to remote work. And I would say it is a very so. It's difficult to pull someone out of YouTube and into buying a ticket or into buying a piece of software. Their mindset is in, well, I'm just watching YouTube videos. right? But I do believe that it's, it is probably one of the easiest ways to be able to rank for particular keywords. Uh, we have a keyword that we spent six months working on which is online collaboration tools. And we're first for that. That one keyword is probably to $40,000 worth of traffic value per month Mm -hmm. very expensive clicks on Google Mm -hmm. The same keyword. I literally just threw together a video. There's no Linking whatsoever and it's second or third for that same Keyword on YouTube. So when you look at it, you're just there is a there's a huge opportunity on the second largest search engine in the world which is YouTube Mm -hmm to be able to rank for all of these keywords that you wouldn't have otherwise uh, that you just couldn't rank for. If right. you had, let's say a DR 30 site, you can do mm-hmm. it on YouTube. You couldn't do it on your main website. Right.
0: Yeah. I so, think some people just haven't really embraced how much video can really perform. They, especially with YouTube, like you yeah. said
1: earlier, they discount mm-hmm. it.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and we've been looking at podcasts as well. So we, we do a podcast and, um, podcasts are are great it's a different way of consuming content particularly while you're on the go but like podcasts youtube once you break into the algorithm youtube literally sends you traffic all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, i just did one on um something that was a little bit off subject for me but it was on mental health and entrepreneurship
3: mm-hmm.
2: inside of the youtube channel mm-hmm. and I was monitoring this because it was a very new type of video and I thought to myself, maybe this isn't necessarily going to work out well and people may not like it. And they ended up liking it. Um, the metrics seemed correct. And I saw YouTube start to experiment with giving it traffic.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then, so YouTube is, a the, the data is amazing that you get on the back of YouTube. You'll be able to know second by second how many people are watching? Where they drop off? All that kind of stuff. Uh, so I saw YouTube give it traffic. So it gave us like gave us like a, hundred, a thousand impressions, and then it just stopped, instantaneously within a, maybe a two hour period. So basically, what YouTube was doing at that point is it was testing, seeing, let's try to give this video some gas. And then Mm -hmm. see what the click-through rate and the watch time is for that video and the engagement level. And then you'll see, and it's a beautiful graph, I see this thousand impressions. And then I see a straight line the last two days, Mm -hmm. which is YouTube said, your video isn't worthy. It (laughs) didn't have the watch time that it needed. And therefore, that's it. We're over. Um, That that video is in essence dead. (laughs) Um, And we have other videos that we put up on the site that are getting thousands of views per week, mm-hmm. because YouTube is saying this video works. And the magic number for us, it may be different for other people, um, but we've just found this. And I've found the same correlation with my, um, my partner's uh, website, Mermaid, her YouTube channel. If you have a 50% plus watch time and approximately an 8% click-through rate on YouTube impressions, Mm -hmm. YouTube literally gives you as much traffic as you can take. Um, Like we'll go to, some of her YouTube videos have four or five million views Mm -hmm. and they just are continuously dumping those views into her YouTube channel. And um, once you get in that algorithm, you know, and and the beauty of it is it's just watch time, that's Mm -hmm. it. So how long, Are you going to watch a video? And then when you're finished with that video, are you going to watch another one of their videos? If they can do those two things, if you can get your community to do those those two things, you will get as much traffic as you possibly want from YouTube. And it's really beautiful because you can't cheat that. That's the beauty of YouTube is I can buy a whole bunch of Instagram followers and I can show you a whole bunch of likes and buy them. If you buy a whole bunch of... Views on YouTube, it's probably the fastest way to destroy destroy not only that video but your actual YouTube sure. channel itself yeah. because mm-hmm. you'll only watch the first two seconds of it. These people that are just bots that just watch it, uh, and YouTube will look at that and say, "Wow, a whole bunch of people came to your website and or your YouTube channel and were super not interested in you. <laughs> right, <laughs> they get you out of here as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah." yeah. <laughs> You, like YouTube literally says, we need to get you off of our platform because mm-hmm. you are actually destroying the experience right. for my watcher. I want my watcher to be on YouTube nine hours a day. Mm-hmm. You are stop you're getting them off of YouTube. So I want to stop you. Right. Um, so it's it, it's just such a I love that concept of social media because unlike other platforms, you just can't cheat it in the mm-hmm. way that you can with other social media.
1: With video for the conference, did you ever actively do video to promote the conference or just talk about topics related to the conference?
2: So we do a couple trailers and we just do a standard trailer. We also do videos, but a one minute video from each speaker. Mm -hmm. And this happened last year because we ended up having a, um, we got a lot of people saying, there's no way you have Joel from Buffer. There's no way you have the CTO of GitLab. <laughs> you're you're bullshitting me. Right. right. <laughs> and we're like, no, no, we have them. And supposedly this is a phenomenon where people will just add huge speakers to a conference and then say they couldn't come
1: like a month before. Not which cool. is really nasty. Yeah.
2: Um so we're just like, okay, well, how are we going to solve this problem? Oh, let's just <laughs> throw up a video. Yeah. <laughs> Dirt, can, you make a a one minute, can you make a one minute video from your smartphone saying, I am going, here's what I'm talking about, really mm-hmm. excited about going. And then we, we deployed that um, for future years as well, because it's a, it's a fun thing to kind of get people into the right headspace. And then we mm-hmm. also add that inside of a lot of our email outreach so if we're going to talk about a new speaker we'll have a breakdown of what their talk description is about but then also their youtube video
3: mm-hmm. which then
2: pulls them back into the youtube channel so maybe someone is subscribed but they're not actually they're uh, one of our email subscribers but they're not a youtube subscriber so like mm-hmm. intermingling all of that stuff as much as possible i think is really important
0: so as far as additional advice or tips that you would give somebody that is trying to do an event Is there anything that you would say, oh, you really got to do this or don't do this?
2: Yes. Uh, There is a black hole between 300 and 1,000 attendees. Do you want me to get like super specific and technical or more theoretical?
0: Whatever you feel is most
2: important. (laughs) So the thing that I would have wanted to know is there is a black hole between 300 and 1,000 attendees. So under 300 attendees, you can run a really great intimate event and you can charge a lot of money for it. So you can charge thousand dollars plus for an event like that. And you can do it profitably.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: At over a thousand people, Salesforce will probably give you a hundred grand to be able to be a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, what I didn't recognize at the beginning, and as I've spoken to other people that have run very large conferences of a conference's revenue comes from sponsors, not from ticket sales. So we thought it was the reverse. Mm -hmm. Uh, We thought the majority of income was supposed to come from ticket sales and not from sponsors. So Mm -hmm. in essence, your job is to be able to get sponsors, get them to come into the conference, pay, and then get the very best attendees you possibly can to make those sponsors happy. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the game, particularly... Mm -hmm. At a thousand plus, so there's this black hole, as I said, between 300 and a thousand. What you need to do is say, are you going to be a sub 300 or are you going to be a 1,000? Mm-hmm. If you've decided to go to 1,000, get out of the hole as quickly as possible. So get yourself to a thousand attendees. Does it mean lowering ticket prices? Does it mean um, basically doing anything you possibly can to get to that 1,000 person? Mm -hmm. Point. Then once you're there, sponsors will look at you in a different way and they'll Mm -hmm. say, Yeah, you weren't worth it at 400 people, but you are worth it now at a thousand or two or three thousand. So basically, these sponsors all they kind of do is they divide out attendees by by cost and they say, Okay, well, if we pay you a hundred thousand dollars. And there's 10,000 people at the conference and that works out to $10 per person for us to be able to engage with your community. Mm-hmm. And what is $10 per impression um, in a two-day event?
3: Mm-hmm. And they
2: kind, of, they kind of work it out that way. So that would be probably be the most important thing that you can learn if you're going to go into it. My personal feeling, if I were going to... So for us, we are getting out of that 1000 we're going to more than 1,000 people Mm
3: -hmm.
2: as a conference. Um, If I were going to do it and I was just going to choose a conference on any particular subject, I would probably do the sub 300. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is I've spoken to a lot of conference um, kind of uh, organizers that are running small intimate conferences Mm -hmm. that are actually incredibly profitable. The conferences that are making a million dollars profit, 1.5 million dollars profit every time they run one. Mm -hmm. And they are really happy, the community is super engaged, and um, it's just something that is, the the level of communication that occurs in those types of small conferences is very rich. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to a very large conference, like you go to South by Southwest, where you have 50,000 people. Right. right. It's not really the same type of thing at all. It's a completely Uh,
0: different experience.
2: It's also infinitely more difficult to be able to schedule all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, To actually run a large conference of, let's say, 5,000 people is more than 10 times harder than 500 people Mm -hmm. just from a – team perspective. You've got to build in sales teams. You've got to build in customer support people. You've got to run an entire army of volunteers to be able to make it work. Whereas 300 people, you could run that on a team of two people and probably be very profitable every single And the other thing that's uh, that's beautiful about this is it looks to me like those conferences last for five, 10 years. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Whereas the big ones they seem to go up, they get big, and then they get acquired. And mm-hmm. then they um, then they kind of drop off.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if people want to connect with you, find out more information, what's the best way that they should do that? LinkedIn, Twitter? How would you – what would you say?
2: No, none of that. YouTube. Go check me out on YouTube. <laughs>
0: yeah. YouTube.com slash running remote.
2: Uh, okay. If you write a comment on that, I will get back to you. As quickly as possible, I think I get back within six hours. There's a beautiful app on um, on Android, YouTube Studio, and it literally pushes comments into into my feed, and I can respond to them in line. Oh, so I've nice. been having a lot of fun just kind of responding to those comments. Mm-hmm. And so there's there, and then I would say outside of that, I mean, it's really LinkedIn is okay, but I I really have to get into it in a deeper way. I'd probably say YouTube. That's probably okay. where the place that like I, I'd be very happy to have a conversation on that platform.
0: Okay, awesome. So we'll we'll include that in the show notes as well as the link to running conference and Time Doctor and the I, it's kind of like a pillar page almost of what you guys did last year for the conference. That is um, insane. Yes, It's
1: a really and, great resource. Yeah.
0: Mm. A, Great resource for event marketing on what you guys did, how you promoted it and everything. So uh, we'll include that in the show notes as well.
2: Cool. Thank you very much. This was right, like thank super you. relaxed. Yeah, I like it <laughs> a lot. Uh it's, pretty it's, laid so, back. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I, I particularly like three people mm-hmm. because I feel there's more kind of communication that occurs around three mm-hmm. people than with, uh, with just two people. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's nice.
1: Thanks, listeners, for bearing with us through any audio difficulties we had. This is Stacy Jackson signing off. If you'd like to get in touch with me or Elena on Twitter, you can reach me at S T A C Y underscore J A X. That's Stacy Jacks. And you can connect with Elena at A L A N N A underscore J A X. Elena Jacks. Elena underscore Jacks, that is. On Twitter, we're both on LinkedIn, and you can leave a voicemail for us through the Anchor app. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
0: The B2B Mix Show is hosted by Stacy Jackson and Elena Jackson of, you guessed it, Jackson Marketing. If you need help with your B2B inbound marketing efforts, visit us at jacksonmarketingservices.com.